Welcome to Love Your Local Larder, a podcast that celebrates local produce with the people who grow, cook and share it. I'm Susie Miller and I'm passionate about all the amazing ingredients we have here in Scotland and the UK. Here on Love Your Local Larder, I get together and chat with some of our incredible growers and producers, as well as the chefs and enthusiasts who showcase their products, sharing their inspiring stories and tasting their delicious food as we go. everybody I am beyond excited about today's guest he is a TikTok sensation he's a best-selling um, author um, and just a generally lovely person um, his name is Kanyoch um, and he's from the Outer Hebrides but most of you will know him as the Hebridean Baker so thank you so much for coming on to my show I'm very very grateful um, Ian was saying today that he first met you at a trade show and it was like 40 degree heat and you were still wearing all of your outer Hebrides clothes <laughs> well so uh, just great great to be on and and yes branding is very important so even even in the most challenging of circumstances the furry hat the big gensi the the kilt was on that day <laughs> <laughs> uh, well you certainly get noticed don't you I mean the what I find amazing about you is that it's 2020 it's only 2020 that you suddenly went viral yeah uh, you're totally right the experience of the past three three and a half years has been phenomenal and I kind of look back even right at the beginning uh, and the trajectory of how it happened and you know, stepping back from it, it 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 blows me away um, that uh, it, it resonated so quickly. Um, I always tell people I'm pro- I'm probably not the best baker in my village. Never mind the best baker in the Hebrides, um, but uh, I think. <laughs> Certainly, the kind of the storyline around it just seemed to resonate very early on, and that 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 means so much to me. Yeah. So, how did you actually start? What made you think I'm just going to start putting footage out there? What What did you What What happened? Yeah. Well, honestly, I can remember the days so easily. Um, uh, for those who have my first book, uh, you'll see my aunt Bellac. She's now 95, and I just happened. She lives in the next village of Maravig, and I was just. Sitting by her stove and she had uh, a duff as we call it a clouty dumpling bubbling away uh, on the stove and it happened to be her 65th wedding anniversary that day um, and she told me that she had been making the clouty dumpling the same way for 80 years and actually she even made it um, for her own wedding cake the morning of her wedding and she was just telling stories and like the traditions around the weddings in those days. And I thought to myself, I don't want people on our islands to forget these stories or recipes or traditions. And I kind of left um, her house that day and I thought, how can I do this? What could be the the message I put out there? Because really the conduit of all this is talking about the islands, our culture, our identity, 
our language and our stories. And I thought through food is a wonderful way to do it. You know this, Susie, food is such a great way of bringing people together. And so um, I started making wee videos, you know, um, called the Hebridean Baker. And I would make a recipe, but like overlay it with telling a story or maybe a wee Gaelic lesson. And... Or really thinking, I hope people on the islands would enjoy them. But I think now it's 28 million people have watched <laughs> these videos. It's just, um, it's just mad, that it's, number. It's, it's mad. I know. And I definitely know there's not 28 million people in the Edge of Hebrides. So there's definitely somebody uh, off the island who's <laughs> is watching this too. So 28 million people viewing your creations must just be I mean what is it that actually what do you think it was or do you know what video it was that suddenly made it just go viral well it's a good point I mean um I I think after a few weeks I was getting maybe 2,000 people watching a video or 3,000 which was amazing like even at that point I was like wow you know this is fantastic but I do sort of remember there was a few moments certainly and um I remember particularly uh, there was a, do you know, there, there, there's a, a, a ladies magazine called Elle magazine in, in America. And unbeknownst to me, there was um, the columnist in Elle magazine had written a, her column about me. Um, she, I, I don't wow. know what it was. She was, she was trying to have like a, um, uh, uh, a social media detox or something. She was trying. There was something happening. She was, and she said the her the head the, the headline was the only thing I'll miss um, about social media is the Hebridean baker, and she <laughs> and she started kind of waxing lyrical about me and my content, and um, I think she said um, my favorite line was. Um, he sounds like what I imagine a piece of Scottish shortbread would sound like coming out of the oven or something like that. That just made me smile. <laughs> and I, I remember the next day, um, I think I'd made something simple like a ginger loaf the day before the, the magazine came out. And I woke up the next morning and this video had been watched three quarters of a million times. And I was like, okay. Wow. It was a good ginger loaf, but I don't know if it was that good. And so I, I thought I'd better do something else. And so I made a, something else the next day and it got over a million views. But I, as I said, I didn't know this uh, article had gone out. Um, then somebody in America said, did you know you've been in Elle magazine? And it was a bit of a kind of um, domino effect of of different people or um magazines or, or or just people started to follow me and and make a bit of noise and um as they say the rest is history that's just and what was your background before what were you doing before <laughs> well i would love to say that i i was able to give all this up give up work because of the hebridean baker but i still i still have this kind of sort of double life um i've always worked oh. in <laughs> kind of kind of brand marketing and and actually most of my life I've worked in sport and so two weeks every month I move to Africa (laughs) to a different African country and I work in development um, so be it Mozambique, Gabon, um, Ethiopia, Rwanda, 
Madagascar. I've worked in all these countries uh, over the past couple of years, and I travel over for two weeks a month and and help them uh, kind of structure uh, sport correctly in their country through the federations and through the government. Um, so it's it's in real contrast wow. in such a lovely way to the Hebridean Baker. And um, I love both. So. <laughs> Do you know, that's, I remember seeing a TED talk once about being a, what did she call it, multi-potentialite? And that's exactly what that is, where you can... You do. You don't just do one career. You do multiple things because actually your brain is stimulated by lots of different types of things. And why wouldn't you want to do them all? Yeah, I guess. Um, what do they say? Give give a job to a busy person, and they'll get it done quicker. Um, yeah. As I said, I think n- none of this was intentional. You know, I I, I didn't anticipate. Um, a cookbook. I didn't anticipate all these TV shows or all these amazing, amazing things that have happened to me. And so I kept kind of going, oh, well, this will be the last thing that happens. Then I'll, then, you know, I'll I'll get on with my life again. Um, But it just, (laughs) just kept happening. And so um, (laughs) I, I, I don't really, I mean, people ask me, you know, um, you know, but what's the plan? You know, you know, what's what's the ultimate goal here? And I'm like, I've no idea. I still feel like it's just beginning. I still feel like I'm just making wee videos, hoping that a few people will will watch. But then every so often, I kind of lift my head above and realize I'm often a a sold out American book tour or. I'm the best-selling author in Scotland for, you know, and I, I kind of realize that this is this is bigger than I could ever think. Uh, it's, it is really quite amazing what you've done within the space of three years. And were you, because obviously, um, so I have your cookbook, uh, the most recent one oh. anyway, and um, we, my kids and I have made multiple recipes from it now um, <laughs> because it's just so nice and it makes you feel really warm and sort of, I don't know, just like your granny's in the kitchen with you cooking, you know, those sort of like, there's a lot of historical aspects to the recipes that you create I think um especially if you're from Scotland um, and I know they're quite particular to the Outer Hebrides but a lot of them would travel down um through throughout the whole of Scotland um so I've made we've made your chocolate digestive biscuits we've made your um posh mints and tatties um, <laughs> that's the one we've also made the um it's like a parsnip and um a mashed potatoes but it's called you call it something but i can't think rump rumple what do you call that oh rumbly thumps rumbly thumps because every time i read the um the name of it i'm like i don't even i've never heard that word before is that is that what you call it up in the, in lewis well, funnily, funnily enough, it's actually from the borders. I, I think what th- one thing I love is, and this came from a, my a big part of inspiration I got for when I, I started to to write the cookbooks. There, I, I love old cookbooks and I love old Scottish cookbooks. And there's one uh, written by F. Marion McNeil uh, called "The Scots Kitchen." It was written in. 1929 and she was a minister's daughter living in Orkney and even then she was concerned that the stories and the recipes of Scotland the flavors of Scotland were getting lost kind of like this kind of like 
international kind of homogenization of, of food, even in 1929. And so she set upon this journey across the country, collecting recipes, collecting the stories behind them. I would love to think I'm even 10% uh, what F. Mary McNeil uh, is, but it really inspired me to not just look at the Hebrides, but to look across Scotland. And some of my favorite recipes that I've got in the books do come from other parts. Rumbly thumps being one of them, actually, <laughs> coming from the borders. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the a lot of the recipes um, I found, probably my favorite ones, have got a story behind them. Be it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can imagine when you're when you're writing a cookbook and you're Scottish, you know, you have to have the best shortbread you know the best shortbread recipe has to be yes. in your book and um i remember finding one from shetland called a bride's bon and it's made by the mother of the bride on the day of her daughter's wedding and it's a classic petticoat tale uh, shortbread with caraway seeds flavored in it and instead of gifting her daughter the shortbread her, the mother walks up to her and she smashes it over her head. And it's good luck if, <laughs> if the guests catch a piece of the shortbread before it hits the floor. And it's supposed to give you like sweet dreams if you put it under your pillow. And I, I just, I, I, with a lot of my recipes, I, I sort of, maybe it's a dream or a wish that uh, if you're in Perth or if you're in Kentucky or... Johannesburg, when you're coming to the table with the bake, that you're sort of telling the story that goes along with it. Um, Because the storytelling for me is such a big part of Scottish culture, of island culture, and also of food as well. Yeah, I think that's what's lovely. And even throughout all the photography that you do within the books as well, and every single section has got a lovely bit of a story to it um, uh, and also the recipes as well. It's just, It just means that you sort of sit there with like a warm cup of tea or hot chocolate or something, <laughs> reading it and just feel really like that um, hygge. Yeah, I, I, I was doing this Danish radio show um, and we were talking about Hygge and they said to me, is there a Gaelic translation for the word Hygge? And, you know, when you're doing a podcast or a radio show, you have yeah. to react quite quickly. And I suddenly thought to myself, actually, yes, there is a, um, a, a beautiful Gaelic word called blas which sort of means warmth and contentment. But there's a lovely saying uh, called Betty Blas er Lewis, which is in English, there's a time for everything. In other words, slow down, enjoy the things that you love doing. And so people have kind of coined this kind of Hebridean hygge. And I'm delighted with that because... Obviously, the Hebrides, we were part of, we were part of Norway for over 400 years. So we've got quite a strong influence from Scandinavia, as many of the Scottish islands do. Um, So to be kind of related to this kind of Danish phenomenon of of hygge, that kind of coziness, the wholesomeness that goes along with that, that's, that is everything that I hoped would, would be portrayed in my books. 
Well, you've certainly captured that because it is that's exactly what it feels like when when you're reading it. Um to in the in the Outer Hebrides then, in Lewis particularly, obviously the world has gotten so fast now with the with internet and you can record your podcast whilst you're up there and then you know all this sort of stuff. Do you think that is it is it moving faster up there now with that or do you do you think that you still manage to capture that kind of slowing down mentality? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question, Susie. And I think one thing um, that, that there, there's a word I never use um, in any of my books or, or rhetoric about the Edra Hebrides is the word remote. Um, and the re- the reason why is um, Donald. Do you remember Donald Dewar, the the ex first minister, the previous first minister of Scotland? Yes. He he yeah. uh, when when he came up to the Hebrides when he was um, elected as first minister, um, he met this old lady on the west coast in an area called Uig, and she was just busy on her croft. She was you know I think she was at the, at the potatoes picking potatoes whatever, and he asked her don't you feel remote? And she looked up at him and said, remote from where? And there's this sort of perception that um, just because we're on an island that we're craving city life or we're craving something different, we really yeah. want to live there. Yeah. It's not like we're not, we're, there is a ferry yes. most days. <laughs> you know, we are allowed to leave. <laughs> um, but um, but things, things are definitely changing. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, um, be it the, the influx of different cultures and different people to the to the islands, um, as you say, be it television or or the internet. Mm-hmm. And one thing um, that it actually hit me pretty hard. I, I I was asked there's a there's a wonderful Gaelic school in in Glasgow, and they asked me to do the end of year talk to the um, sixth years, the fifth and sixth years who were leaving leaving school. And it wasn't about baking. It was just about being proud, about being proud of an identity, you know, and particularly Gaelic. There's only 60,000 people in the world that speak Gaelic. And so that makes us pretty unique. And I wanted to make the kids realize that, you know, when I was growing up and I totally understand it, that, um, you know, we sound different to people from the rest of Scotland. Or we, we we are different folk. And maybe maybe 10, 20 years ago, those differences weren't celebrated. Um, and I really do think they are now. And I wanted to make sure these kids um, really were proud of their heritage, their ba- their where their parents were from, the language that they were speaking. And... Uh, I just wanted to make sure that they they, they kind of really uh, understood that. And it was about two months later, um, I was, uh, there's a, <laughs> I, back, I was back in Glasgow in a, in a great pub called the Park Bar, which is where all the, the Highlanders and Islanders go. And this lady came up to me and she said, oh, um, know you know, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic bar. And uh, the, this lady came up to me and said um, that her, she was there with her, son and daughter at the at the school and how important that talk was to them they said that they when they had moved to to Glasgow felt a little bit embarrassed by their um, island accents and nearly tried to lose it because they didn't know anybody 
who, you know, any TV people or anything that that had the same accent as them. And after hearing my talk, they realized that you are allowed to be yourself. You you can be from the island and and still be world worldly and um, you know travel etc. And that meant a huge amount to me that um, that she came up and told me that story and, and her kid that I'd made just that wee bit of difference uh, to some of the kids there that day. That's lovely. That's so nice. And I guess what's so nice again about this sort of new path that you're on is that actually it does open things up for you and go to go to places like that and to 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 realize that you actually have sort of influence and um over people that you never would have thought that you you could have had before probably definitely i mean um a couple of months ago uh, i was at an award ceremony this um for the scotsman uh, newspaper and uh, i won the award for uh scotland's food and drink influencer of the year and I remember walking up to to get the award and I was thinking you know I'm a nearly 50 year old big hairy man from the Outer Hebrides and I'm the most I've been called the most influential man or person um, in the food and drink industry in Scotland I was like you know um, I'm sure everybody in the audience were quite shocked that I got the award, but I was certainly very shocked. And it just just shows that if you if you share the right message um, and you celebrate what is what we're really lucky to have, which is fantastic local produce, wonderful flavors, and people from around the world who know. Scotland more than they should if you compare us to other countries our size and you know what what we produce in the food and drink industry we punch way above our weight and so people know us so well that it's just absolutely fantastic I think that is what's lovely actually is that you can take this all around the world and that there's people around Scotland, you know, whenever we're trying to export our goods around the world, everybody, you automatically get at least a chat with somebody because you're from Scotland. I mean, it's just, it's quite amazing. You're right, because we're such a small country that people take such an interest in us, but it must be history. It has to be history. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so... yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right. And uh, I mean, in America alone, and I've toured America three times uh, or, or already, and they say that there are 25 million Americans who have Scottish heritage. Um, mm. And they they are craving authenticity. Yes, they love Outlander too, um, <laughs> but they are looking for <laughs> authentic Scotland. Um and if you are authentically Scottish, um, then they're very passionate, you know, and um, it doesn't matter where I've gone, be it Washington, San Francisco, Portland, L.A., all these places. Um, I'll not only find Scottish people who come to my events who are so excited, you know, that I'm coming, but mm-hmm. also uh, locals who have found my channel and have bought into something, be it the, the storyline, be it the Scottishness, be it Gaelic, be it the Hebrides, be it the food, something. And again, I go back to the Gaelic language because it's so descriptive. There's a, there's a beautiful word in Gaelic called um, 
kianalus. And there isn't a perfect Gal- uh, English translation of the word kianalus, but it sort of is um, a longing for a place, even if you've never been. And um, I get a lot of people that come to me and say, you know, I've never been to the Hebrides. I don't have any connections, but there's something calling me to go. Um, and that's the word kianalus really sums that kind of feeling uh, up. Um, and I've kind of come across this so many times. And remember, there's only it's only a set of islands of 20,000 people. Um, but our... Our message, our story that we create definitely has resonated. I love that because, I mean, I have to say that uh, when I was living in Manchester, in fact, I was away for about 10 years before I came home. And um, that uh, song, I mean, it's quite cliched, but it's so true, that kind of Caledonia song, Caledonia, you're calling me and I'm coming home type thing. I (laughs) I really felt that. I really felt like I wanted to go home. Um, But I can also imagine that people feel that having never lived here maybe their generation before has lived here um something like that i i don't know maybe it's i don't know what it is it's yeah that's a lovely word can you say that word again yeah the, the, it's the word kianalus and i think you're right yes. because even i think particularly with islanders um a lot of us have to leave you know we we have to go for education or or, or work um but then we always feel we want to go home, um, or if we are able to go home. And even the ones that aren't able to go home uh, for, for be it family reasons or work reasons, there is always a pull. You know, when you get on that ferry, be it at Ullapool or uh, and Sky or Oban, if you're heading up to Barra, um, there is that kind of tingle of excitement as you kind of go over the minch and you start to see... You know the 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 kind of Harris Hills, the Clisham, or or you you know you're going to drive past the Cullinish Stones, uh, or head past the castle in in Stornoway. There there there's something very very special. And even though I think um, maybe visitors have been more used to going to be be at Sky or Mull or Isla over the past maybe 20, 30 years, you can see the change now and the people who are visiting the Outer Hebrides and realizing that they're, they're different. You know, all the islands have their own story, their own identity uh, landscapes. And, you know, it really fills me with joy when people come up and visit and are just blown away by not only the landscapes, but the, 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 the heritage and culture that goes along with that. Which is so lovely. And is, is there any produce then that is particular to, let's start with Lewis, but maybe maybe the wider Hebrides um, that you don't get anywhere yeah, else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, maybe you do get it, these things elsewhere, but they're definitely the best in the Hebrides. And the one, <laughs> there's one in particular. <laughs> um, and again, going back to that Danish radio show, actually, I remember they said, um, final question, they said, um, if we were to step off the ferry in Stornoway, what's the first thing we must do when we visit the Hebrides? And I sort of assumed they thought I was going to say, 
you know, head to the Cullinish Stones uh, or go to Gyaran and Blackhair's village. Uh, but I said, the first thing you must do is go straight to Charlie Barley's butcher's and get yourself a Stornoway black pudding. And <laughs> there was a kind of pause uh, after a moment on the radio, but we do produce the best black pudding in the world. And I'm, I'm not biased. It, it, we have got kind of gold medals uh, for, for black pudding. Um, and you, you do see, it's another wonderful thing when you're at the airport in Stornoway and you're seeing all the the bags from the butchers, obviously all these people, you know, who are leaving the island, taking away, <laughs> taking away black pudding. Um, so I think that's probably the most iconic of all the things. Um, but I think that one of the things I've really noticed probably in the past five years when it comes to the food and drink industry uh, in the Hebrides, and well, certainly the island of Lewis uh, and Harris, is even just say you wanted to go for dinner, um, you know, you would go to a hotel, it would be a nice dinner, but quite simple, wholesome, and, you know, there wouldn't be much contrast to, to, to what you're being fed. The wonderful thing now I feel on the island is, you know, you can go to a shipping container in the middle of this wee village called Achmoor and get amazing pizza. Uh, then you can go to Uig Sands, which uh, on the west coast of Lewis, which is for me one of the most beautiful restaurants in the world. And now that is this contrast, you know, you have the the trucks that will kind of hang around um, Stornoway Pier and, and serve you meals all the way up to high end. And that's not something we had before. And what they're all doing is celebrating fantastic produce from the islands, be it from the land or the sea. Um, and I think that is probably one of the biggest changes I've seen in our uh, food and drink culture over these past few years. That's amazing. So there's basically lots of different types of things happening in the one place now, rather than it just being um, traditional. Yeah, is that what you mean? Yeah, I, I think I think it's more. You know, if you want to spend. 10, 10 pounds on on something if you want to spend 200 pounds uh, on on your meal you've got the opportunity to do that now um, yes. and not just the price point but also the quality the experience uh, that you you gain from these things um, just because it's a 10 pound pizza that doesn't mean it's any worship you know what I mean it's still an amazing fun experience yes. Um, yes. but the fact that you can do these things I think has a real impact on enjoyment when people come to visit the islands um you know everybody wants that instagram moment um and you can do that in so many different ways with food uh, and drink um and the the journey down to the isle of harris to the beautiful isle of harris distillery which has been producing the the amazing gin for the past eight years and and now it's uh, already celebrated uh, whiskey which was just released uh, recently the Herroch, um which now will compete admirably with with the other you know Hebridean whiskies from Sky and Isla and Jura which is one of my favorites as well so there there's a lot happening which is just amazing did you before you started doing the recipes on sort of like TikTok and Instagram did you have any experience of baking or did you do it as a hobby <laughs> or was it just 
Did you just start then? <laughs> um, no, I, I, well, I, I did call myself and I still call myself a passionate home baker. Um, my goal is not to make people into Michelin star chefs. That's not my job. There are people much better, you know, cookbooks out there to do that for fine dining. What I'm trying to create is that cozy feeling that, do you know what? Yeah. I sort of have this image that if if someone's if your aunt is coming round for for a cuppa in the afternoon, you would take my cookbook out to bake something for your auntie. That's kind of the storyline I want to create, um, and so the <laughs> the recipes are intentionally simple, simple set of ingredients. I don't know if any of them even fill a whole page of my book. You know, they're the simple set of ingredients and instructions, but ones that make people smile, ones that maybe just have that hint of nostalgia um, or flavors that people would love or twists. I, I do love putting a twist on, on, on a classic recipe as well. Um, and I think that's the most joyous thing is when people message me which they do on instagram every day which i absolutely love um when they say they've they've made one of my recipes or um they've they've shared they've shared it with friends and family um and uh yeah that 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 gives me a real buzz that um that people are enjoying the recipes and and everyone was chosen the, 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 when you're making a cookbook, you know, choosing the recipes is like it's it's science. You know, you're you've got to connect them into chapters. They've got to flow correctly, and each have got to tell a story as well. That the photography uh, needs to kind of bring somebody in and go. I want to be in that photo. I want to be sitting at that table, and that's that's my, one of my favorite parts of of doing the cookbooks. I mean, I, I, so I, I obviously um, used your recipe book uh, quite a bit recently. But what it has actually also inspired me to do is get my granny's cookbook out, and so I've been working my way through those as well because I it must just because it, it gives you that really lovely sort of homely feel, and um, yeah, it's just been it's been so nice getting out all these recipes, and they're all written with them. Um, pounds and ounces and um <laughs> and there's no sort of there's no actual like um instructions it's just like uh mix it together a bit you know stir it a bit <laughs> put it on the heat for a bit <laughs> um so yeah i think um you've, you've definitely inspired me to, to sort of look um at those types of things because i felt lovely and cozy and um and just wanting to kind of celebrate tradition and and whatnot, which is which is lovely. So um, we actually have been fortunate enough to um, have you use our heather honey in your um, heather honey shortbread, um, and we're very very grateful for that because you're always so kind, and we have our logo on the back of it as well, which is amazing. So I thought it would be appropriate to um, sample some of these live. I would like to say that I'm opening the box for the first time, but <laughs> I um, dug into them all earlier on. Um, so I actually bought three. I bought the lemon and ginger OT, the chocolate OT, and obviously the, the um, Heather Honey shortbread. What made you decide to branch out into the biscuits side of things as well? 
Oh my goodness. So um, there is a wonderful bakery. Um, the oldest bakery in the Edra Hebrides is called Stag Bakery and it's based in Stornoway. And um, with, with everything I've done, like uh, either the, 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 the partnerships uh, I, I, I work with or the activities I do, they've all started very humbly. And I walked in and uh, asked for a meeting with the manager and I said, um, I don't know if you know who I am, but and they're like, we know who you are. <laughs> and they, I was like, look, um, I, I'd, I'd love to do something together. Um, you know, I knew they had just they had built a, a, a cookery school with the intention of doing lessons just before COVID and then never was able to open it. And I was like, you know, maybe we could do that. Um, maybe I could, you know, endorse your products or do things with your products. And a little bit offhand or flippantly, I said, you know, I would love my own range of shortbread biscuits. And then got a wee bit embarrassed by even saying that to them and kind of diverted off to a different subject. And then um, I said, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll leave you to think about things. And um, Catherine, who's the manager there, she said, I've thought about it. Let's do it. And I was like, do what? And she went, oh, lovely. everything. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so we started on this journey of um, creating not only the flavor combinations, but also the brand and the box. And it was a fascinating experience to, to learn um, the kind of retail side of, of food, I suppose. You know, why somebody would pick up mm. a box of this shortbread rather than so many other options out there. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen the box, um, there's a range of six different flavors. Uh, you mentioned a few of them. So there's three shortbreads. There's, there's whiskey, heather honey, and marmalade. And then three oaties, which is mixed Scottish berry, lemon and ginger, and chocolate. And um, so <laughs> there's, there's an art to tasting biscuits because they need to have the same flavor you know, the day they're baked, the week after they're baked, you know, a month after they're baked, etc. Mm. And there was me with probably, I don't know, six flavors, maybe 40 different biscuits or shortbreads in each category that I was supposed to taste to make sure that the, the flavor stayed the same. So you can imagine me, um, first biscuit, ate the whole thing. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, 412 biscuits later, <laughs> a little confused by how much I had eaten and what the flavor of the first one tasted like. Um, but uh, the, the learning and getting the flavors right was so important. And when we chose or when we chose to have a, a honey shortbread, I had, I had uh, tasted you, the, the Scottish Bee Company's Heather Honey so many times. And I really wanted that in my shortbread it's so distinct um the it's you know the the amount of times that i've just asked somebody when i open the jar just just smell the fragrance of this and they're like that's like no other honey i've that they've ever experienced and i wanted to have that same feeling um with the shortbread and it's actually, I don't know if you even know the Susie, but uh, the, the Heather Honey shortbread with, with your honey is the best selling of all the range, which is just amazing. Um, I did not know that. And that is amazing. 
<laughs> and now it's not only sold around the UK, but it's sold in uh, America and Canada and New Zealand. And it always comes back to people saying, oh, my goodness, I love the Heather Honey shortbread. And uh, that just makes me smile oh, because, as I said, amazing. you know, it, it, that it, it was it was going to be honey. You know, we knew it was going to be honey, but just that elevation in that very distinct fragrance and taste from the Heather honey, I think just has just taken it to the next level. So thank you for that, Susie. <laughs> no, well, I, so I have one in front of me right now and it is first of all, beautifully shaped. I do not understand how they get them looking so <laughs> the same. Every time I make biscuits, <laughs> they do not look as, as lovely and neat and tidy as these lovely things. So I'm just smelling it just now. And it is, it, it, as soon as you open the box, you can smell the Heather. It's yes. really, really strong. And you wouldn't think you'd be able to, it would carry so so much within the biscuit, but it is so strong. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's, you, you're totally right. When you open, when you open the, the box, you just get that beautiful fragrance of the heather honey. Um, and it's very comforting. It's not overpowering when you're eating it. The same with all of them. Actually, the hardest one to get right was the whiskey shortbread. Um, we work with Jura whiskey. And um, I remember some of the flavor combinations, we were like, well, that's definitely whiskey shortbread but i'm not too sure if i want another one <laughs> they weren't very moorish yes and it took a lot of it took a lot of um t- testing of different combinations and actually we added a, a hint of caramel into the whiskey shortbread and it just gave, gave that warmth to to what is mm. a, a very strong flavor uh, of whiskey we still want the biscuit to be you know the start of the show um, but with the heather honey, as I see, I just see it across the world when people tell me that they've, they've picked it up, um, that it, it just means so much. And the, and the fact then they can turn the box around, there's a wee galaxy saying on every box, a wee bit of the story. Yes, about, I love that. Um, yeah, a wee bit about, uh, you know, the islands and the Hebridean Baker. And then just that lovely partnership between the two of us, between the Scottish Bee Company and the Hebridean Baker. And, and that definitely makes me smile. Oh, I'm so pleased. And I honestly, every time I go past it, because I always go, we buy them at the Foraging Goat um, in Haddington. And um, every time I walk past them, I was like, just turn the box around to have a little look at the logo on the back, um, which is which is lovely. Um, OK, so let me um, I'm just going to taste a little bit of this biscuit, actually, whilst you're here. Two seconds. Hmm. Mm, so it melts so nice. in your mouth which is what shortbread should do really isn't it that lovely yeah lovely crunch it's, and then it just melts i mean each so one lovely. is a wee bit different um the marmalade one for example has little bits of mixed peel dotted through it so you've got that kind of crunch and chew um you've got the mixed mm. scottish berry which Funnily enough, I was down at the uh, Isle of Harris Distillery and a great friend of mine, Mary, who works there, she says, I buy them, you know, by the bucket load. But she said that she eats the mixed <laughs> Scottish berry oldies with cheese. She says, there's, and you're right, there is a near savouriness to the mixed berry oldies, or not inten- not overly intentional. Um, but she said she's been eating them with cheese. And I was like, that is 
inspired. So I've tried it and it does work. <laughs> yeah, I could actually see that that would work. And I, the one that I really, really love, I think I, I wanted the Heather Honey one to be my favorite, but the lemon and ginger Oti is my absolute favorite. It's so, is it's it? like the ginger. It's just so there. Yes. It's amazing. I love that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah my kids are obsessed with them as well <laughs> I just in fact my one of my little ones just woke up from a nap just before this podcast and I was panicking I wouldn't be able to get on to record things and um he wouldn't stop screaming and he was crying for like 25 minutes and then eventually I took him the box of um chocolate OT biscuits I was like do you want one of these he's like yeah and I said, he stopped <laughs> um, so um right okay so what is your favorite recipe and why? Oh my goodness, that, that's like choosing your favorite child, Susie. That's nearly impossible. <laughs> but what if, okay, what if I did this then? What if I chose, um, if I was going to invite you around for dinner, uh, if I chose a three-course yes. meal, how, how about that? <laughs> well, Sounds um, great. I think one. I think one thing, Susie, that I'm sure you'd agree is Scottish people are really good at making soup. I don't know what it is, but we love yes. soup. And, <laughs> and um, it's been pretty central to a lot of my savoury recipes, even if it's not in soup. I remember um, this. So this is I'm going to even though I'm going to talk about soup, I'm going to talk about my main meal first. Um, so I remember for my second book, um, uh, I have an amazing photographer, also called Susie, Susie Lowe. She uh, she has a few different hats. One of them uh, is actually that she's the head photographer for Glen Eagles, the beautiful rest, uh, uh, hotel in, in Perthshire. Um, but she's she's photographed my two of my books. And I was walking out of the kitchen with my cockaleaky soup. Now, cockaleaky soup, for those of you who don't know, has three main ingredients. It's a clear, it's a clear broth with chicken, leeks, and prunes. And as I walked out, she said, uh, "Oh, what's next?" And I said, "Oh, it's my cockaleaky soup." And she she said, "Oh," and "Oh" isn't usually a good thing when you're walking out with a recipe and so I was like um oh what do you mean oh she goes Kanyoch cockaliki soup is really difficult to photograph and I realized as I looked down I had this white bowl with a clear broth and a basically a brown prune floating floating on top and she, she said it's sort of like photographing a toilet pan and I, I literally from that moment I was like okay I can never unsee this and I cannot have this in my book so I trudged back to the kitchen and I was like well I've now got a cookbook of 75, 74 recipes, not 75. And <laughs> fast forward to that evening and I, you know, I was in the kitchen and I had people coming around for dinner. So even though I'd been baking for 20 hours, um, you know, they were still expecting their, their dinner. And so I, um, I had obvious, I had chicken, I had leeks, I had prunes. And I thought to myself, what if I made it into a pie filling. And I thought, you know, if, if I slow cook this 
um, you know, and the, the prunes will just melt and make this kind of sweet sauce with the leeks and the chicken. And then I put uh, a puff pastry uh, along with it. And that evening, I said to Peter, my partner, I said, um, is that good? <laughs> and he said, this is the best thing you've ever made. And I was like, should I put it in the book? <laughs> and he was like, yes, put it in the book. And that is why I have a cockaleeky pie recipe in my book. To my happiness, definitely my photographer's <laughs> happiness as well. <laughs> it's so it's such it's, a comforting recipe. Yeah, it's so funny that you're saying that because that is exactly what we are making tonight for dinner. That recipe. No way. Because <laughs> I tried to yeah, I tried to make it um maybe about two weeks ago. And then I um, came down the stairs and I was like, right, okay, it's all planned for tonight. And I came down the stairs at lunchtime and Ian had used all of the chicken to make a curry. And I was like, no, I was going to be making this. <laughs> I'm supposed to be making this cockaleeky pie. Uh, so I have bought chicken again and we're going for <laughs> attempt number two. Um, but that's lovely. Uh, well, I would definitely would have enjoyed that if I'd come to your house for that. Because <laughs> I'm looking very well. Well, can I give you one piece, one piece of advice, Susie? Yes. Um, if you look at the photo and if you see the recipe, I, I think, anyway, this is the only mistake I've made in the book. Um, you'll see in the photograph, definitely there are root vegetables in the pie. I think it's carrots you'll see in, in the pie filling. And I forgot to write it in the recipe. So I oh. really <laughs> hope you've got some <laughs> I really hope you've got some carrots or parsnips in at home as well, because they, they're perfect for the pie. Okay, amazing. Well, we do. So I will I will make it tonight and I'll feed back to you. Um, thank you. That's like, you know, those um, tapestries. Apparently, it was always good luck when you're doing a tapestry to make a deliberate mistake in the tapestry. So that's like your cookbook. You made your deliberate mistake. We'll call it deliberate mistake. <laughs> it was good luck I, for you. I, I'm going to use that and hold on to that for sure. Yes, it was completely <laughs> deliberate. <laughs> so, so that um, would be that would be my that would be my main meal for sure because it's just cozy and hearty. And let's let's add some rumbledy thumps uh, along as a side as a side to that as well because they're just just saying the name makes me smile. Never mind eating them, which is which is yeah. delicious. Um, and then for for starter. Um, you know, we, we do have such wonderful uh, salmon uh, on, on the west coast of Scotland. And I, I absolutely love celebrating, uh, celebrating that. <clears throat> and I do a kind of a, a Harris gin gravidlax infused with a beetroot, um, which is, it's, just a taste sensation it, it it really is it's kind of like this beautifully cured beetroot and gin uh salmon and it's very light um and just perfect because you're going to go on to this hearty big meal in the cockalakey pie so i think i'd mm -hmm. go for that to start with and then with the dessert well it has to be my aunt's clouty dumpling recipe and the wonderful thing about clouty dumpling is um, there's so many ways to eat it. You know, um, we think of it as like a kind of three-day process. On day one, you know, when it comes out of the clout, which is the cloth, um, and it's allowed to dry for about 30 minutes to create the skin 
which is so distinctive on, on the Kluge dumpling. You know, we'll often on day one just slice it and have it with a, a kappa, you know, like kind of an afternoon kind of slice of cake. Day two, we will have it as a dessert. So that's when we will, um, you know, make a lovely vanilla custard or cream and, and have it, you know, as, as a pudding, I guess. Um, and so that's what I would definitely have as a dessert. But most islanders can't wait for day three. And day three with a clouty dumpling, it's all about breakfast. We fry it in oh. uh, yeah. the, the fat of the bacon and sausages for a Hebridean breakfast. And oh my, I'm actually salivating even thinking about it. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's just my favorite thing to do with clouty dumpling is to fry it as part of a breakfast. So as what I'll do for our meal is I'll make sure there's enough that if you're staying staying over, you'll have some for breakfast as well. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so good. I wouldn't even think, do you know, that I wouldn't even have thought to do something like that. But that sounds amazing. The sweetness with all the sort of um, sausage and bacon saltiness would be amazing. Yum, yum, yum. yum. <laughs> yeah, so good. Okay, so it's coming up to Christmas. Um, and is there anything, any particular Christmas recipe that you would recommend people should try? Yeah, I mean, uh, in all three of my books, actually, I've I've got a Christmas chapter, and uh, it's it is really interesting. Um, you know, Christmas. I, I I used to live in in Russia. I actually moved to Russia when I was um, just turned nineteen, and as a as a wee kind of like evening job, I was teaching English in a in a in a, in a adult school. Um, and the, the 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 English books were so old, <laughs> and I remember um, this lady um, asking me why Scottish people didn't celebrate Christmas. And I looked at her. I was like, I haven't. And I had to pretend because I was the teacher that I knew what she was talking about. And I realized the book she had was from like the early 1950s. And technically, Christmas Day didn't become a national holiday in Scotland until 1956. And for 400 years, it was it was banned under the the church. And so. I think these days, you know, people in Scotland absolutely celebrate Christmas. But I wonder if that's why Hogmanay and New Year is so important to Scottish people, because in previous times, you know, they didn't have the celebration of yeah. Christmas and New Year. Um, but I love Christmas. And again, as always, I love uh, uh, some uh, a bake or a dessert with a story. And... Um, there's one in my new book called The Kalioch. Now, the, uh, a Kalioch is the Gaelic for an old lady, okay? Um, and But there is a, a mythical legend about the Kalioch. And the Kalioch is supposed to be um, the bringer of winter. And she would come with her sisters. I think the story goes that she lived near Benevis, but... As winter, she would be woken up by the cold of winter, and she, her and her sisters would take their all their tweeds, all their clothes. They would she would take them to the Corryvreckan, to, to the whirlpool, to wash her tweeds, and then she would travel the country, like bringing cold to um, to to Scotland, and 
you had to celebrate that. And the way to celebrate it um, in in the old days was you would carve uh, the face of an old lady into a, into an old log, and you would you would put oh, it wow. on top of the fire. And um, basically, as long as that piece of log was burning, that's how long your party would be at, at Christmas time. And <laughs> we did this last year. And actually, I, you know, when sometimes you think, can this be true? But honestly, that log burned for days. It was unbelievable. <laughs> like we, we, we were kind of mystified by it. But this is where the story of the Yule log comes, the, the beautiful kind of rolled uh, dessert, uh, the Yule log. So basically, at a certain period, they've replaced the burning of the log with the Yule log. And so... We call it the Kayoch, and I call it the Kayoch in my in my cookbook. But it is a classic chocolate uh, Yule log. But for me, you know, as when when I am doing Christmas dinner, you know, I I've got the sweetest tooth. So there is always four, at least four desserts on the Christmas table. One is always my Christmas cake. I do love making Christmas cake, and um, you know. I, I always make my Christmas cake the same day every year while everybody else is, you know, putting on fancy dress and going out, you know, guising or trick-or-treating. I put Mariah Carey on and I make my Christmas, always on the 31st of October, I make my Christmas cakes. It's an absolute tradition every year. Um, so I'll always have a, a classic uh, Christmas cake. Um, I make... Uh, Probably a showpiece um, bake as well. Uh, I love, uh, I've got a mulled pear and pistachio pavlova, which tends to get a lot of oohs and ahs as it yes, <laughs> arrives so at the nice. table. I love a pavlova. Um, I do. I do too. Um, and I also, you know, I've, I've made these little, um, they, they look like Christmas puddings, but they're profiteroles. Um and they're kind of like little chocolate profiteroles that I melt white chocolate on the top and put little kind of uh, uh, kind of ice things to make them look like Christmas puddings. So something to make folks smile um, and, yeah, just roll over onto the sofa afterwards after four, four desserts. Well, yeah. <laughs> um oh honestly thank you so much for coming on to our show um what's for you over the course of the next few months then oh my goodness lots of adventures as always um i do feel that every day i kind of open my email or check my phone and i I seem to be asked to do something amazing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was filming with um, two of the hobbits from Lord of the Rings, in fact, um, Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan for I their travel show. I saw that on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, or maybe I saw it on their Instagram. I can't remember, but I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, um, so that was fun. So that'll be out soon. But um, I'm currently on, on my book tour for my new book in the UK. Uh, which includes a few TV shows and uh, back on this morning quite soon as well. Uh, and then in February, I'll be heading across the Atlantic. I'm, I've am i got uh, 31 cities on my US or my North American book tour next year uh, between yeah. February, July and September, all the way from Toronto to Jacksonville, 
Vancouver to San Francisco and and lots in between. And wow. I cannot wait for that. Uh, it's it's so much fun just being able to go somewhere and just talk about Scotland. Uh, you know oh. th- that that's my favorite thing to do. So oh, lots lovely. of touring. Oh. Um, lots of new recipes to try and uh, yeah just spreading the good word of the Hebrides <laughs> oh fantastic oh well I wish you all the best and thank you so much once again for coming on today I am really truly grateful thanks Susie listening if you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast then please share with your friends and family shout about it on social media or leave us a rating and review thanks again and i'll see you next time